Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy, the podcast that empowers you to transform life's challenges into opportunities for personal growth and healthier relationships. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. As experienced therapists with backgrounds in addressing trauma and mental health disorders, we believe there is hope and there certainly is healing. We've spent our lives supporting people through the ups and downs, and we want to share these insights with you. Together, we'll unravel the layers of personal growth, healing from trauma, and building healthy relationships. Each week, we'll bring you engaging conversations, expert insights, and practical strategies to help you heal from the past, foster healthy communication, and develop enduring love. This podcast is your guide to transforming adversity into triumph, healing wounds and past trauma, gaining wisdom and insight, and creating meaningful, fulfilling connections. So if you're here to heal, to better understand yourself or your relationships, you're in the right place. So sit back, get comfortable, bring your trauma and your drama, and let's start healing. Welcome, Welcome to, to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. Therapy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you here with us today. If you haven't already, you can join our Facebook group by clicking the link in the show description. So if you'd like to be able to ask us questions about psychology or relationships, or just be notified when we release a new episode, it's a great place to be. Today's episode is going to be the second in a series on anxiety. In the last episode, we talked about generalized anxiety disorder. And now what today we're going to be doing is going into other disorders that have anxiety as a part of them. We're going to go through some diagnoses that are in the anxiety class, but we're also going to go through others that aren't necessarily in the anxiety class in the DSM-5, but we'll talk about how they may include or mimic anxiety. And although we could go in depth on a lot of these, we're just going to give a brief overview so you can see what are some of the other diagnoses that come up. So the first one we'll talk about is panic disorder. And this is a recurrent and unexpected panic attacks where you just have this surge of intense fear or discomfort that really peaks within a couple of minutes. And I think the important thing to know about this is that the panic attack doesn't have to be centralized or focused on anything in particular. You could just be having an overwhelming sense of dread, but you're not connecting it to any specific fear that's happening. You can absolutely connect it to a specific fear, but it doesn't have to be. And a big piece of this is that at least one of the panic attacks is then followed by persistent worry or concern about having additional panic attacks. And so it could be worry about having a panic attack itself or the implications of having a panic attack. Like what if I have a panic attack and I'm in the middle of a crowd and I can't get out? Or what if I have a panic attack and everyone's looking at me? Or what if I'm driving down the road and there's nowhere to pull off if I'm in the middle of a panic attack? The next diagnosis we're going to talk about is social anxiety disorder, or social phobia. This is marked by persistent fear of social situations where scrutiny or judgment by others is possible, leading to avoidance of these situations. One of the things to note about this is that the fear is going to be excessive or unreasonable. And I think the important thing is that there's a difference between social discomfort and social anxiety. For all my introverts out there, you're going to feel social discomfort a lot of times that is not necessarily social anxiety. It's, I would prefer not to, or larger social gatherings make me uncomfortable, but you can still be functional in them. They may drain your battery quick and you want to get out of there. But again, that's different from social anxiety, where that anxiety is going to be more crippling. It's much harder to function. You're not really going to be able to enjoy the situation versus an introvert can still enjoy it, even though it may not be their preferred mode of engaging with people. 
but somebody with social anxiety disorder is not very likely to enjoy a social gathering at all. And another kind of thing that enhances the difference between just being introverted versus having social anxiety disorder is that the people who are struggling more with that kind of social phobia, social anxiety disorder, in those social situations, they're actually more likely to have a panic attack versus for all those introverts out there, you're not going to have a panic attack when you're in those social situations if there's not some underlying emotional condition. The next one is specific phobias. And this is marked fear or anxiety about a specific object or situation. So it could be animals, heights, flying, but it has to be out of proportion of the actual danger that's posed. Some other common ones are fear of needles, the fear of throwing up, the fear of clowns, fear of driving, fear of enclosed spaces, or even fear of nature like thunderstorms. I think another very common fear that people have is arachnophobia and they're very scared or uncomfortable around spiders. Now, the interesting thing about that, especially if you live in America, is that there's very few spiders you actually have to be concerned about. Two of the ones that people get very concerned about, black widows or brown recluses, can give you some relatively nasty side effects. But for black widows, it's unlikely to produce any major negative side effects. And a lot of people have a lot of mysticism kind of around brown recluses, that they're very venomous and very deadly. But it's actually really interesting. I was listening to a guy, he's a venomous animal expert, and he was talking about it. And he was like, yeah, if you go back and search the records, you can find almost no deaths by a brown recluse. And don't get me wrong, spiders can look creepy and uncomfortable. But if you see a spider and it causes you to turn on your heel and run, even though it's just sitting there calmly in its web, there's a little more anxiety there than is warranted. Now, if you have the worry or concern, because from your understanding, you think that they are very venomous and deadly, then that makes a little bit more sense. But if you understand that the vast majority of spiders are not very venomous and are not going to produce any type of major side effects, but then it still causes you to want to turn on your heel and run, then that's where you're entering into that phobia category. And so with specific phobias, they lead to avoidance of behavior or situations or they're endured with really intense distress. And so going off the example that Tim just said about spiders, maybe you saw a spider in a certain area, and so now you're not even going near that area anymore. And you just totally avoid it because of the possibility that there's a spider there. So one specific phobia is agoraphobia. And there's a couple of different situations that can fall under this. But it's a marked fear or anxiety about two or more of the following situations. So using public transportation, being in open spaces, being in enclosed spaces, standing in line or being in a crowd, or being outside of the home alone. And so I think we do have this misconception that agoraphobia is the fear of leaving your house. But there's a lot of different things that could fall under this. But it's the same thing with specific phobias, that that fear is out of proportion with the actual danger. And so I can see how people think that it is just about leaving your house because maybe that fear of using public transportation, if that's the only transportation you have and you have a fear of it, then you are going to just stay home. Or if you have a fear of being in a crowd, then you're not really going to go out much and then you do end up staying home. And we'll talk in the next episode about how it affects your daily life. But this is a good example of how it does affect your daily life. Because anxiety can be very isolating. And this is an example of that. The next one we're going to talk about is separation anxiety disorder. This becomes a problem when it is developmentally inappropriate and excessive anxiety concerning separation from an attachment figure. When people have separation anxiety, 
The fear is related to potential harm to the attachment figure, fear of getting lost, or fear of experiencing an untoward event causing separation. So when people are struggling with separation anxiety, it is because they're afraid something bad is going to happen. And so they want to stay around that attachment figure to make sure nothing bad happens because that attachment figure gives them some sense of calm or being protected. But then not being able to be aware of what's happening to that attachment figure becomes very uncomfortable. And this is something that definitely used to only be identified with children, but is actually something that happens to adults. I think that children and adults express it very differently, but they both can suffer from separation anxiety. So adults with separation anxiety may have fears of being alone and demand to know where their partner, child, or parent is at all times. They may have difficulties with separating from their adult children or partner and have fears of harm befalling their loved ones. So it can just seem like a controlling spouse or a controlling parent, but really if they have separation anxiety, they're just struggling with the fear of danger or bad things happening to them. So that's why they want to be able to keep tabs on, know where they are, or have them respond to phone calls or text messages in a quick fashion because they're struggling with this overwhelming fear that something bad is going to befall them. So the ones that we've talked about so far, those are the ones that are in the anxiety class in the DSM-5. But we also want to talk about these other diagnoses because anxiety is a very real part of these. And one of them is obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. And the anxiety is often linked to a specific obsession or compulsion. And oftentimes they have those obsessive thoughts and the anxiety that comes with all of that. And then oftentimes the compulsions happen. They're trying to manage or eliminate that anxiety they're feeling over those obsessive thoughts. And when the obsessive thoughts or the compulsions aren't working, they experience increased anxiety. And it's just escalating and escalating for them. And then I think those compulsions get more and more complex as a result of them trying to find a new solution to that feeling or sense of anxiety. So another one where anxiety is a component of it is post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. So when you have PTSD, you've been through some type of life-threatening or perceived life-threatening event. And basically what's happening is your brain identified the situation and says, okay, this is dangerous. I want to avoid getting into this again. But a little bit of a problem with that is that it takes some of the facts and information from the traumatic event and it starts to diffuse them, meaning it takes those things and it just starts putting them into more and more general categories until almost anything can potentially set you off or make you uncomfortable. And your brain is in this hypervigilant state, constantly looking for a threat because of that life-threatening event or that traumatic event that you went through. So your brain gets stuck in this kind of constantly scanning and self-preservation mode. And that anxiety is a result of your brain constantly worrying about some threat that is just around a corner. Right. And I know that we just talked about specific phobias, but a lot of specific phobias can also be because of some traumatic event, some event that caused PTSD. And now there's a specific phobia that is happening because of that. So next, what we're going to talk about is adjustment disorder. Now, adjustment disorder basically starts when you have some type of significant stressor that you've experienced in your life. And then because of that stressor, you have a disproportionate emotional response. And then the symptoms last longer than what would be expected for that experience that you have gone through. I think a lot of times if you look at the idea of adjustment disorder, you can think, well, that's just kind of stress or worry. But a thing that kind of sets that apart is that adjustment disorder impairs your daily functioning, meaning it makes it hard for you to actually do the tasks that you need to do versus stress or worry. You can still do your regular daily tasks, 
but with adjustment disorder, it really is making functioning in life difficult. And when you're struggling with adjustment disorder, you may have very intense emotional responses, and then it gives you a feeling or sense of hopelessness and anxiety. So the stressors can be single events, like maybe a bad breakup, or they can be multiple events, like work problems, struggling at school consistently, having financial issues. Or another example is it can be with specific milestones, going to school, getting married, or retiring, and even health changes. A lot of times people experience adjustment disorder when there are significant health changes in their life. Something also that's important to note is that there are multiple medical conditions that can mimic anxiety. Several of these include hypothyroidism, some cardiac conditions, hypoglycemia, or respiratory conditions. And these can all give you a feeling or sense of having anxiety. But then the solution to these is not psychotherapy. It's going and getting those conditions treated. And one of the things when it comes to mental health conditions is the first thing you always want to rule out is some type of medical issue. Because if you're going to psychotherapy and you're trying to treat anxiety, but it's caused by some type of cardiac or respiratory issue, you're not going to progress at all. So one of the first things that you're supposed to do if you think you're struggling with some type of mental health condition is first go to your doctor and make sure it's not some type of medical condition first. So in addition to medical conditions, you also want to rule out any kind of substance-induced anxiety disorder. So this could be due to illegal substances, or it could be due also to medications. I think also even something like coffee. Coffee has a drug called caffeine in it. And if you're consuming too much caffeine, you're going to give yourself the jitters, and you're going to feel anxious as a result of that. But it's not necessarily anxiety. It's just you consume too much caffeine, and if you draw it back, then all of a sudden the symptoms can go away. Oh, for sure. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of therapists will check on. Hey, how much caffeine are you drinking? Because if you can eliminate that and that changes a lot of your anxiety, that's an easy win right there. And even if it doesn't fully eliminate your anxiety, but it just reduces it or makes it easier to manage, just that simple change could save you a lot of time and effort. And the last thing we want to talk about is just separating out normal stress and worry from generalized anxiety disorder. We all experience stress and worry. Life can be very stressful. Work can be stressful. Relationships, all of these things can be very stressful. But the difference is that generalized anxiety disorder really involves an excessive and uncontrollable worry that's disproportionate to the situation. And another part is that when you're having just regular daily stress and worry, it's not very impactful on your regular everyday life, meaning that you can function normally. But if you're having a disorder, Almost all the diagnoses come with a little bit of a caveat on there that it causes clinically significant impairment in daily functioning, whether it's in your personal life, in your work life, or some other important area of functioning. It's going to be noticeable that some aspect of your life is going to be suffering. But with normal worry or stress, it's relatively minimal. Oh, like I thought about it for five minutes today and, you know, I was concerned about it. and But then I was able to move my mind off to something else. That's more of an idea behind a normal stress or worry. But just remember that accurate diagnosis really does require a thorough evaluation by a qualified mental health professional. And there's a lot of things that they consider, right? Duration, intensity, the impact of symptoms. They'll rule out medical and other psychological conditions. So if you think that you might have anxiety or any other mental health concern, definitely seek that professional help, which is crucial for an accurate diagnosis. 
and then getting appropriate treatment. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about how does anxiety affect your daily life. So stay tuned for that one. And we hope you have a great day. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode and found it helpful. If so, would you take 30 seconds and share it with a friend? Also, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It lights us up to know that this podcast is helping you. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group. Just click the link in the description below. Although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. If you are struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or feeling hopeless or suicidal, you are not alone. Help is available. Please seek professional help or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988. Thank you again for joining us on Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. Remember, there's always hope and there's always help.